Thank you for making it this morning. Thank you for, or to those of you that might be joining us online this morning. Uh, did everyone get a handout for today? If not, uh, Nancy has those if you, wanna, if you want one. Just raise your hand and we'll pass that out to you. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, and uh, we're going to look at a verse there in just a few moments. Jeremiah chapter 9, and uh, we'll continue on our study here of understanding biblical change. Um, again, the Christian life is, is really a journey of change. God has saved us, but he's not going to leave us the way we are. And so the journey of the Christian life is really a reality of um, the the believer is becoming less and less of who we once were and more and more like the one that he has saved us to be. And that's a process all through life. And so um, you have to continue looking to Jesus who is the author, the founder, and he is the perfecter of your faith. And as you continue to look to him, you become less of who you once were and more of who he has declared you to be. And so that's the process of of growth in our life. But the question that we've been asking is, okay, so how does that actually happen? Um, And we looked in Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we saw that there's a lot of man-made religion, a lot of attempts to better ourselves, and, and that's moralism. It's man-made religion, but what we're learning is that true spiritual growth is rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the foundation uh, for our growth, and we live that out in our union with Christ through daily repentance and faith. And so as you keep that in mind, as we're daily united to Christ, we are one with him because of what he has done for us in the cross and in the resurrection. We have died to sin. We are alive to righteousness, a new creation in Christ. And that new creation that we are in Christ is becoming more and more uh, like him as we progress in our daily repentance and faith. And this daily repentance and faith is, we've been picturing it through this idea of a tree that we are to be putting off the ways of the old man. You're looking at rotten fruit in your life saying that doesn't match up to who Jesus is or who he's declared me to be. So um, I, need to, I need to put the ways of the old man off. But I need to, in the deepest part of my heart and my mind, I need to be renewed. And then as I grow in that, I'm putting on the ways of Christ. So putting off and being renewed and putting on is this process of daily repentance and faith that we're looking, looking at. So what I want us to do this morning is I need a little bit of audience participation in this, and uh, we're going we're gonna to think through this together um, and make sure that you, you're, you're getting this and seeing why what we've talked about so far is, is so important. All right, so let's, let's start with identifying uh, maybe sinful words or actions or habits or reactions. This is, this is a way that we would uh, maybe counsel ourselves. This is a, a way that we could help another brother or sister in Christ that it may be struggling with something. Uh, when you're wanting to see true change in your life, you have to identify that in your life, which is departing from the life of Christ in you. Okay, so let's, uh, let's just for um, general illustration, let's just say it's the issue of sinful anger. All right, there, there is sinful responses. Now, obviously with our personalities, that anger comes out in different ways. Some of you might just lash out and yell and scream and blow up and it's done. Some of you might harbor that and you just kind of like give the cold shoulder in snarky comments. You know. uh, but sinful anger is, is uh, let's say that that is a, a sinful uh, reality in our life. So I need to identify that. But then 
when I identify that and I say, okay, there's sinful anger in my life, what do I need to do? First and foremost, right away, what do I need to do with that? You're allowed to talk. (laughs) Call it what it is, right? And there's there's a biblical word for that. When we agree with God about what it is, what's that called? Confess it. You confess that. And then you forsake it. You you turn from it and you say, Lord, with your help, I I don't want this to be a reality of my life anymore. So identify it, confess it, agree with God and forsake that. Okay? But remember what we've been talking about in here is that that fruit doesn't just come out of nowhere. Okay? So we have to start working our way a little bit deeper. Because remember, under every behavioral sin is actually the sin of idolatry. And what we've said is that you do what you do and you say what you say because you love what you love. So there's anger in my life because there's some ruling lust. There's a driving affection in the deeper parts of my heart and my mind. And that's what I need to identify. So let's, let's think about this. Why would a person get angry? What would be the driving desire? Or a driving desire, because it could be different for each of us. Any ideas? What, what would be a driving desire or a ruling lust of the heart that would bring about sinful anger? Okay, what was it? I didn't get my way. Okay, so that's, that's, that's one thing. Well, I heard something over here. A need for control. Like, I, I need to be able to control these things and it's not working out. Okay, do you see how that ruling desire is what brings about the sinful anger? So it's not the anger in and of itself that's the issue. Yes, you need to confess and forsake that, but you need to go down and identify what's the ruling lust, the driving desire. It's like, uh, it didn't go my way. It's not the way that I had anticipated it. My expectations were here, reality's here, and now I'm just angry, right? Or... Um, no one is doing what I told them to do. <laughs> it's out of control. I must be in control. See how that driving desire for control, for unreal expectations, brings about sinful anger. Okay, so we have to be thinking that way. We have to uh, be going down and looking into the realities of, of my heart and, and say, okay, am I, what am I really wanting? What do I think I need? What do I feel like I deserve in this situation? What, what is it that may, maybe I'm thinking this is what's going to make me happy? What is it that maybe is so important that I'm, to me that I'm willing to even disobey God in order to get it? So I've got to identify those ruling lusts. It's very, very important. Uh, because each man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And each of us have a unique set of lusts. And so while the anger may look the same, the driving desire underneath it might look different for each of us. So it's important that you identify the driving desire, that ruling lust there. But don't stop there. And this is what we talked about last week, is that we have to go a little bit deeper because under every act of idolatry is essentially the sin of unbelief. You love what you love because you ultimately believe something about God and his word. So what we need to do is go down into the roots here and find out, okay, there's something that's always true about God. That's the one thing that never changes. But apparently I'm either ignorant of that or I'm just flat out ignoring it. 
And when I don't really embrace what's true about God and I don't rejoice in who he is and what he's like, then my desires and my affections start to go self-centered. I want to be in control. You didn't meet my expectations. So, okay, let's, let's go down to the root here. Uh, let, let's take, um, so the desire, I want to be in control. What, how is that showing unbelief in who God is? Oh yeah, he's actually the one in control, right? Not me. And, and, but the, the, the reality is this, the, the less I realize that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and the less I actually rejoice in that, then my desires are going to be toward the fact that I think I should be in control. And guess what? We can't control things. And when we can't control things, but we think we should, we're going to respond in anger. You see how the issue actually is not anger? The issue is there's something about who God is and what he is like that you don't either know or you're just flat out rejecting it. And it's what we have called it's functional unbelief. Right? We would all confess God is a sovereign God. He is in control. Right? We confess that, but functionally we often live in unbelief. And we said that in every choice of life, there's that one constant, the truth of who God is. You're either going to embrace that truth and rejoice in it, or you're going to reject it and follow after the desires of your flesh. So when you ignore God's truth or you're ignorant of God's truth, then you're going to embrace and rejoice in something other than God. Namely, getting my way, or me being in charge here. So we always have to go down to the root and ask, what is it about God that we're ignorant of or we're ignoring? Who is he? What is he like? That's the root of everything. You see how, you see how it's so important that the question that you're asking is not, okay, how do I get victory over anger? That's so shallow. Because all you're doing is just dealing with the fruit, The issue is not how do I get victory over fear or worry or lust or bitterness or gossip. No, the real question that we need to be asking is how do I root out idolatry and unbelief in my life? That's the real question. You could say it this way, that to root out idolatry and unbelief, we must always be asking what sinful desires do I need to turn from? That's repentance. But then we need to ask, What truth do I need to turn to? That's faith. This is the the Christian life. How did you come to Jesus? Repentance and faith. How do you live as a Christian? (laughs) Repentance and faith. You're constantly turning from sinful desires and you're turning to the truth of who God is and what he is like. Turning from fleshly desires to believe who God is. This is what renewing the mind is all about. You're allowing the spirit of God to take the word of God and reveal to you the glories of God. And there's something that's so powerful about the glory of God that when you come to see it, it changes you. And that's the journey of the Christian life. Learning to behold the glories of God in the face of Jesus Christ and allowing the spirit of God to take those glories of who he is, of what he is like, and let those transform you. Now, we often fail to see the transformation that we want, and and here it is, because we don't really believe God. Again, we're talking functional unbelief, not, not confessional belief here. 
And, and the reason that we live in this functional unbelief, we don't believe God, is because we haven't actually taken the time to get to know God like we should. Right? It's hard to believe somebody that you don't know. And so until you spend the time to get to know God, you're going to continue to struggle with this functional unbelief. You're like, yeah, I know that God is wise, but I'm not really sure he knows what's going on here. So there, there needs to be a lot of time spent in the word of God getting to know and understand who God is. And if you don't know God like you should, then as a result, you're going to end up trusting the one that you do know the best. And who's that? You. But, but the, that's, the, that's where the word of God comes in. It's like, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths. But our, our problem is, we don't know him like we should. So therefore, we're kind of questioning of how God is operating. And so we go to our own heart because we know ourselves. And that's where the sin comes out. So here's the key question that is sort of the root of our whole life, and that is this, what do I know and believe to always be true about God? What do I know and believe to always be true about God? True belief, again, it's not simply confessional, it's functional. And the goal of the Christian life is to know and be convinced of what's always true about God, so much to the point that it governs your affections and it dominates your will. That's the kind of belief that we're talking about, but that kind of belief that that changes your desires and directs your will, that kind of belief only comes as you spend a lot of time getting to know God. So I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but maybe we could say this. If you want to deal with sin in your life, you really need to get to know God. That, again, that might sound really overly simplistic, and I'm not trying to be simplistic about it because getting to know God is a lifelong journey. But really, that's the root. What do you know and what do you believe? What are you rejoicing in and embracing to always be true about God? That's where true, lasting change will come about in my life. And that's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, is a, a verse that... Um, I would encourage you to memorize these couple of verses here and just kind of let them uh, marinate in your thoughts and in your heart. This is the reality of our life. Thus says the Lord, verse 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you understand and know God? Obviously, that's, a, that's going to be an eternal journey for us. But are you growing in your understanding and knowledge of God? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is what ought to be the reality of our hearts. If we're going to grow to become less of who we once were, more of who he's declared us to be in Christ. A daily turning from my sinful desires to faith and belief in who God is and what he is like. This is what it ought to be. That I know and understand God more and more. And again, we'll spend eternity seeing and rejoicing in these realities of who God is. But today what I want us to do is I want to I start by just giving you um, four qualities, you could say, of God's character. 
and my goal here is not to like break God up into parts. God is one. He is a unified God. Uh, we don't divide him up into parts. But there are highlights of his character. Even he highlights here in Jeremiah 9, 24 that, that he practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness. So what are, what are four really key qualities of our life that if we could just turn to, meditate on and get to know these things that would anchor the roots of your life in the reality of God. And we want to have our minds really renewed by these things so that at every choice of life, we turn to that and we embrace what is always true about God here. And the more we meditate on these four realities, um, and I'm just saying uh, for my own life, the meditation on these realities um, have strengthened a lot of things. It's brought to light a lot of things in my life. Um, but the more we know these and understand these, we delight in these, the more our desires and our affections and our wills will be aligned toward Christ and not the world or ourself. So uh, what are these four things? Well, we're going to look at, at four simple things. That this, it's God's great, God is holy, God is good, and God is love. Again, there's a lot more that we can say about these things, but his greatness, his holiness, his goodness, and his love provide, uh, may provide for us a framework of what we really believe to be true about God. And let's look at how these uh, function in our life. If our roots are anchored in the reality that God is great, then we understand this. He alone can be trusted. In other words, I don't have to be in control. Because he is. He is great. When you meditate on the greatness of God, that he's supreme over all, that he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere present, and he never changes. As your heart gets anchored in those realities and you begin to delight in and take joy in those, it changes you. Um, one thing that maybe all of us are pretty familiar with around here is a thing called traffic. Um, as you as you drive through Atlanta, you know you're heading down 400, and you're going at a good pace, right? And out of nowhere, it stops, right? Have have we ever experienced that? Yeah, I, I was on 75 yesterday, going north, and I was like, oh, this is great, wide open. And then all of a sudden, it's like every car from Detroit just lands in Atlanta. You're like, what in the world is going on here? And um, so, what did I do? Confession time here. <laughs> I, I slapped the steering wheel and uh, I said, This is ridiculous. It's Saturday. <laughs> okay, so if, if the reality of my life is what is always true about God, who or what was I saying this is ridiculous to? Th- this was functional unbelief, right? And, and I, I, at that point, I'm not wanting to admit it, but I'm saying, no, God, I don't like your sovereignty. I'm not delighting in your sovereignty right now. I want to actually reject it because I think it's dumb. You're like, wait, you're a pastor. You can't say those things. <laughs> I'm just telling you the reality of my heart. That's functional unbelief. Because I I wasn't letting my mind sit in the wonders of the greatness of God. Or or I haven't taken the time to get to know the reality that God is sovereign. 
And so in functional unbelief, when you either don't know the the greatness of God or you're ignoring the greatness of God, you get angry when you sit in traffic because you miss an appointment. You get stressed because there's more month at the end of the money. You, you get uptight and irritable because your family's not cooperating with your expectations. Or you lay awake at night all worried about your kids and you slip into despair about your inability to do anything for them. Why? Because at the root, you're not convinced that God is actually as great as we made him out to be. Do you see how unbelief actually is the root of everything that comes out in our life? And when you don't rest and rejoice in the greatness of God, you, you, you start trying to take control of yourself and you start trying to manipulate other people and circumstances and you wear yourself out. It takes a lot of energy to be God. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> you, you wear yourself out. You get really frustrated. You get more and more insecured, insecure and you become all preoccupied with the things that you just cannot ever control. Anyone else there? <laughs> It's all because we're either ignorant of or we're just flat out ignoring the greatness of God. But since he is great, he can be trusted, so I don't have to be in control. Now, if if that's going to change me, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time in the word of God uh, asking the spirit of God to reveal to me the glory of God's greatness. That I would not just understand it intellectually, that I delight in it, believing it with all my heart. That God is great, that he's sovereign, he's supreme, he is all-knowing. God is great. God is holy. And if God is holy, then he alone is worthy of honor in my life. Which means I don't have to fear other people. The Bible reveals to us that he is to be feared above all gods. And since he alone is worthy of that, then my fear should be directed to him and him alone. And one of the reasons that you and I end up in sin is because we've allowed other beings and other realities to become really big in our eyes. It's because we don't know the holiness of God and we haven't taken the time to meditate on the reality of his holiness. So what happens? When I'm either ignorant of his holiness or I just ignore it, then I live craving the approval of other people. Because I'm not fearing him above all gods, I'm fearing what other people think. Or I tell lies about myself because I, I want to save face. I don't want you to think bad of me. Or I easily give in to pressure from other people. Or I, I feel like I really need to have something different from my friends or from my spouse. Or you get really pushy so that other people will accept your ideas and your opinions. Or you overcommit and overextend yourself. Or you, you push yourself to get the affirmation and the respect of others that you feel you deserve. And you tend to be controlled by other people's expectations of you or your own faulty expectations of yourself. Why? All of it's because, as uh, one author put it, people are big and God is small. You, you need to spend a lot of time growing in your knowledge of his holiness that God alone is worthy of honor and respect and fear and worship and trust. And and what we find is that as you get to know this about God, that the fear of God is not only the beginning of wisdom, it it frees you from the fear of man. Because the fear of man brings a snare, but you put your trust in the Lord and there is safety there. So spend some time meditating on the majesty of God, the beauty and the splendor of God, his righteousness, his justice, his wrath, his jealousy for his own children and for his own glory. 
And when you see that God alone is worthy of honor, you begin to realize I don't have to live in fear and be controlled by what other people think. Uh, the, other, the other reality about God is that he is good. And, and it's not that God is good in the sense that, hey, you ought to give him a, you ought to give him a try. <laughs> I see these bumper stickers that say, try Jesus. I'm like, eh. Like, yeah, give him a try, see if you like him. No, 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 it's God is infinitely better than anything else because he's actually the source of all goodness and joy. And so whatever sin offers, God offers more himself. But our flesh distorts the desires for good things. It clouds our capacity to clearly see that God is good and God alone uh, can satisfy. But when I understand that God is, he is faithful, he is sufficient, he is all wise, he is true and trustworthy, he alone can satisfy, then I don't have to look anywhere else for satisfaction. Um, but because we don't really know the goodness of God or we haven't taken the time to really meditate on his goodness, then in functional unbelief, you know what happens? We, we begin to despair in the middle of trials because this doesn't make me very happy. Uh, we grasp for all sorts of escape mechanisms that the world offers us to try to cope with heartache. And so there's alcohol and there's drugs, there's entertainment, there's porn, we indulge in food or sleep or shopping or social media, thinking that there's something that will fill the emptiness or the pain in my life. The satisfaction and fulfillment and meaning and identity and purpose will be found in something, but obviously it's not God because I'm running to something else. And while there might be a moment of pleasure and there might be a sense of escape at, a, at some point, we are still left empty at the end of the day. But see, true biblical change is about enjoying the freedom from sin and the delight that we can have in God because he alone can satisfy. So I don't have to actually go anywhere else looking for satisfaction and joy. It's all rooted in him. But if I don't really know God and his goodness, then I'm going to go with what, the one that I know the best, and that's me. So you see where the renewing your mind is, is really anchoring your thoughts in what's always true about God, that he's great, he's holy, he's good, and that God is love. Um, I, I don't know why, maybe this is just confession time for, for me this morning to my church family, but um, I, I lived a lot of my life believing that, um, that I let God down, that I just, I just couldn't gain his favor. Um, and I, I, so if I had a bad day, I, I, I just have figured that, well, God's not going to hear my prayers today because I didn't read my Bible this morning or I disobeyed my parents. And so something bad's going to happen to me tomorrow. And so, um, if I, if I sinned too much, then I thought maybe I could make up for it by reading three chapters in my Bible tomorrow and praying like four hours over the next day or so, you know, and maybe I could just do more to get God to like me. Um, but I honestly, there was no joy in serving God. There was no real delight in who he was and what he was like. I was always wondering if I was in or out of God's favor. And if I was just going to trip up and just get, you know, he's just going to let me have it. 
And it was a life of anxious performance, of just trying to get God to accept me. And it was like every day I'm trying to knock it out of the park for God. And always trying to justify and prove myself before God. And it was a life of absolute insecurity and fear. Now, I don't know if anyone else has ever been there or if you are there. But can I just tell you, the perfect love of God will turn that all on its head. As 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. God's not interested in respectability. God's not interested in your self-righteousness. He's interested in sinners running to him. That's what he wants. But because I didn't really know the love of God, and I, I hadn't really taken the time to meditate on it and get to know that, I lived in functional unbelief, and there was insecurity, and I was not fear of God in the terms that he's holy. I was afraid of God in the terms of I, I'm going to displease him in a really bad way and he's going to let me have it. I got caught up in doing good things to get God to accept me, fearful of just opening up and letting other people know the difficulties that I had in my life. You begin to lose joy in simply obeying God. But when you start to meditate on the fact that God is gracious, he is merciful, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that he's kind and he's patient and he has pity on his children. And you start to, the Holy Spirit begins to open your heart and your eyes to that. You begin to delight in the wonders of God's love and it brings absolute security. And it's like, I don't have to prove myself because of who God is and what he is like. And the gracious favor of God in Christ towards me brings this great security. And I don't have to perform to get him to accept me. You see how, how these realities, rooted, uh, if we're rooted in them, how it changes our desires and our affections and directs our wills in our life? Again, you do what you do and you say what you say because you love what you love. And you love what you love because you believe what you believe about God and his word. And so I pray that we will grow in our trust of God's greatness, that we'll cultivate a fear and awe of God's holiness, that we'll learn to delight in God's unchanging goodness, and that we can rest secure in the fact of his perfect love for us. And believing and trusting what's always true about God, again, it's not an intellectual issue, right? Because if I, if I passed out a three-by-five cards and said, okay, true or false, God is great, <laughs> we'd all be like, True. But that's just confessional belief. We, we're not talking about intellectual. We're talking about growing and understanding it and embracing it and rejoicing in it to where it drives out idolatrous affections and love for Christ begins to rule our heart. And when, when you don't know and understand and believe the truth about God, you live in ignorance of those things or you ignore them, then it's going to change the way you live your life. And it's going to come out in sinful fruit. So if I, if I sense bitterness or resentment in my heart, I can fuel that desire, uh, or I can fuel that by reflecting on all the wrongs that have been done to me. Or I could turn away from the idol of everything going my way, repenting, and I could believe by faith God is always good. That's, that's the choice of my life. At every choice in life, I'm going to reject my fleshly desires and believe what's true about God, or I'm going to reject what's true about God and follow my fleshly desires. Those are the really only two choices. 
So if I feel myself getting angry and annoyed at people, I can either start meditating on people's incompetence and blame it on a good old Irish temper, (laughs) or I could turn from my desires to be in control, or I could turn from my unreal, unbiblical expectations, and I could trust in the fact that God is great. When, when you sense immoral lust drawing you away, you can meditate on the fact that I deserve to have certain pleasures in my life, or you could turn from that desire in repentance and in faith, you look to the holiness and the beauty of Christ and submit to the reality that he alone can satisfy. That's the choice of our life. It's not so much a choice of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. It's I'm going to turn from that sinful desire to believe the reality of God. Um, Again, sin comes about in our life when we ignore or we are ignorant of what is always true about God. Uh, I guess I missed that. Um, So in the face of temptation, it's not the issue of can, can I obey the rules or just have stronger discipline and just say no to this temptation here. Rather, it's, again, the issue is... Am I going to look to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith, and allow my heart to recognize and respond to what's always true about God? This is what it looks like to trust in the Lord at all times and lean not to your own understanding. I'm turning from my desires, my thinking, to who he is and what he is like. What's his word say is always true about God. Again, um, uh, I think, oh yeah, on your handout, Jeremiah 17. I, I've put that on there. Let's look at what he says, Jeremiah 17, verses uh, 5 through 10, if you want to look it up in your uh, copy of the scriptures. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an unhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See the tree illustration there? Are you going to be rooted in the reality of who God is and trust him, or are you going to follow after your own heart and your own desires? Well, If you're going to follow after your own heart and your own desires, understand the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So following after your own heart and your own desires is really, really a rough place to go. So look to the one that never changes. Look to his word and his truth and meditate on these realities and let them begin to transform you. And you anchor your roots into his greatness, his holiness, his goodness, and his love. And the Holy Spirit of God, as you meditate on these glories, will begin to transform you from the inside out. So if I'm going to love and worship God above all, I must know him. As he's revealed himself in his word. And be rooted in his unchanging truth. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to see how God uses this process of getting to know him. And as we behold his glories, and the spirit of God takes those and transforms us, we're going to see how that takes place in our life um, through uh, getting to know God in the scriptures. So um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the verse that we're going to look at next week, that as we, with unveiled view, behold the glories of God and the Spirit of God 
conforms us to the image of Christ. And this is what renewing our mind is all about. Knowing and believing what is always true about God. So I encourage you maybe take these four things of his greatness, his holiness, his goodness, and love. Maybe make them a point of study. Say over the next month or two, I just want to see what does it mean that God is great. And I'm just going to survey the scriptures and find out what is his supremacy and his sovereignty all about. How can I get to know and love and delight in the fact that he knows everything, he, he sees everything, and he is all-powerful, and he never changes? And say, God, I, I want you to take these things that I know intellectually, but I want you to drive them deep into my heart and transform me because of them. So, so maybe take the, the greatness of God over the next month and just study that. Um, and if you're interested, if you want some resources in, in, um, in doing that, let me know. And uh, I'd love to point you in the direction of some things that will be helpful tools in just getting to know God in these ways. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us without a witness of yourself. That you have revealed um, not only your beauty and greatness and wisdom in all of creation, but you have specifically given us the scriptures. And ultimately, you have sent your son to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray that we would not live as those who are ignoring, uh, ignoring or ignorant of who you are and what you're like. Lord, help us to run to you at every point in our life, to not lean to our own understanding and follow our own desires, but may we look to what's always true about you. Believe that. And Lord, we pray that you would use it to direct our wills and our desires to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name.